everybody, this is William Del Pilar. This is Points on the Board. And I am here with my co-host, Eddie Aparicio. Eddie, my friend, brother. What's up, Guillermo? I'm good, man. How you been, man? Happy happy New Year. Happy holidays, all that stuff. Hope you had a good one with your family. Uh, Definitely, it was jam-packed for me. I was uh, nonstop for the most part. But, uh, you know, anytime you spend time with the family, uh, you fatten up a little bit, right? And you get to enjoy some... uh, you know, some good quality time and get a chance to talk, watch movies, you know, the stuff that kind of relaxes you, right? And, and and helps extend your life beyond what we deal with on a daily basis with all the stress that we deal with, right? So the oh, holidays yeah. are, are, are there to help put back the years you may have lost as you're working. <laughs> oh, yeah. I actually worked through the holidays. I got this venture. Oh, and, uh, and uh, really? I'm working late nights. But it's been helping me. I wake up with less stress. I'm working later hours. But because I don't go to bed stressed by this wasn't done or that wasn't done or this wasn't done. I mean, you right. see the notes. They're much more detailed, much more laid out. Uh, uh, so so I, I, I'm doing that. But Christmas movie. Uh, what, what Christmas movie did you watch this year? You know, we, 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 you know, we didn't necessarily watch Christmas movies. We just watched, you know, like my wife and I, we love like kind of thriller kind of movies. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then so there was one that I'll, I'll, I'll share with you. It was actually pretty decent. It's a, called Before I Wake, and uh, it's about a kid who can dream, and whatever he dreams manifests into real life. So oh. you actually see things. Um, but it's pretty cool. It, it, that's a, it's a pretty good movie, so I, I would recommend checking it out. It's not a family movie. It's a family movie. It's not scary. It's kind of marketed as a scary movie, but yeah. it's pretty good. Uh, and then another one I'll, I'll recommend is Silenced. It's a Netflix movie, um, and it's about a story about a, a guy who's trying to find uh, you know, the killer of his daughter and sees that there's a serial killer that's taking kids out, you know, in a certain part of, of, of the U.S. So not a family movie again, but it's a good movie to check out. So those are my Christmas movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't watch new Christmas movies or we have, they're forgettable. Uh, the wife watches the, uh, or used to watch the Hallmark uh, 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 Christmas movies. My wife watches all the time. Yeah, she still watches them. But as far as us, we watch... She always starts watching the movies with it. And, you know, she crashes out. But we watched Fred, was it Fred Claus? Fred Claus with uh, the tall guy, Norm, uh, I forget his name, a uh, 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 famous actor. Vince Vaughn? Vince Vaughn, that's it. Vince, I'm thinking Vince Vaughn. Yeah. Vince Vaughn. Yeah. That's enjoyable. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I started watching Die Hard. I dumped Christmas Vacation just because you can only do it for so many years. And, and the second straight year, I watched Die Hard and Fred Claus. Uh, I'm not into today's mood. I, no. I think the writing is too woke, too silly. Yeah. I agree. It's just not good writing. I find myself going back to the old classics more and more. Yeah, so for sure. Anyway, uh, uh, and, you know, another, another thing we should talk about, William, at some point for one of our introductory podcasts or the following one is what are our top five best movies of all time? It would be interesting to get your take. And I can show you gotta my be take. sports movies and the sports podcast. Not necessarily sports. It could be. <laughs> well, you know, we, gotta, we, hey, we have a. Hey. a, a are you trying to become a guest on the Red, White, and Rude Entertainment Pop Culture no, Podcast? No, I'm just saying, you know, hey, you know, our, our, our listeners don't only, they're, they're not only focused on sports, they also look at other things too. So, you know, in this, you know, just kind of. I'm game for it. I'm game for it. Yeah. So real quick, Eddie, uh, I know you know, and for the audience out there, uh, a very dear individual I know, I, I'm not going to sit there and say, 
a good friend. Because after I sold the business, you know, and you leave an industry, you tend to not talk. But I have talked to this individual once every few years, so we do stay in touch. And he's dear to me because I'm one of these people, Eddie. I'm like, never forget where you came from. Never, ever forget who helped you up that ladder. Because one day you will come down that ladder. And this individual, his name is Emo Catholic. And he is a god in the fantasy sports industry. He's beloved by all the working class fantasy people. He's not as well beloved by the leadership cliques. Uh, um, uh-huh. He should have been an instant Hall of Fame entry person in the first couple of years. Took him 10, 10, over 10 years before they put him in. And the reason I say this is he, uh, I know for sure at one point he was producing five magazines. The, the, the industry's changed, not the, not the fantasy sports industry, but the print industry has changed over the last uh, 15, right. 20 years. Uh, uh, dramatically. So I don't know how he puts out. At one point, he may have had about seven fantasy magazines. I don't remember. But that's how most people meet him. You know, you go to advertising his magazines. He needs writers. He understands a working class versus the Yahoo sales rep. If it wasn't for him, my company, KFFL, which at one point was ranked in the top 2,000 websites in the world, at one point, we were the de facto leader in anything and everything to do with fantasy football as we grew our little mini empire out. Uh, we were the first NFL uh, fantasy analyst for NFL. Uh, uh, the total access show on NFL Network. We were one of the first... We were pioneers uh, doing fantasy shows on, 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 on satellite TV. We had our player news format, which came out at about the same time as Roto uh, Wire. I'm not going to take away from them, even though people have lied and said they were the first ones they weren't. We were at about the same time. We owned them when it came to that. And all this happened because of the start of my relationship with Emo Cadillac. You know, I recognize what Emo's uh, strategy was, and I maximize that. We'll write whatever article. We will do this. We'll do this. Just give us the advertising. But Emo and I became close as industry peers. You know, hey, Emo, I'm doing this show. Are you doing this show? Hey, you need a guest? Call Emo Catholics or some of the fantasy sports shows we did. The pilot I did a year, some years ago. You know, Emo. Went to Emo. Him and Bob Harris. Uh, Emo's a godsend, and he is a... Uh, 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 an endearing individual because he doesn't look at you to get what he can out of you. If he wants something, he wants a win-win. And he's very well beloved. And I found out just yesterday at two in the morning that uh, 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 he has pancreatic cancer. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. And uh, it's not something, that's like you said, I'm sorry to hear that. Or, or somebody said earlier, I'm sorry to hear you, he's batting that. And you, you don't do anything. There's no bad in pancreatic cancer. It, 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 from what I've read, from from what I've known, it's you find a way to least painfully pass away. Yeah. yeah. It's probably the most brutal one out of all of them, honestly. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure people have survived it, but it's one of those type of cancers you don't come back from. And that kind of shattered me for a few seconds because of what he represents. You know, And most people don't see him like I do. And I don't find that good or bad. But they should, but because without his help, the odds are your fantasy sports company would not have grown as quickly as it did. You know, so somebody said, well, you all just used each other. You wrote for him, you got a free ad. It was more than that. We grew into, we, we, he was already a dinosaur in the industry when the industry first started its commercial explosion. 
Yep. So he was, and, and what made him different from a Charlie Weger? And you may not know the name of Charlie Weger. I remember Charlie Weger. Yeah, you did even sports. Yeah. Yes. So you don't know that the average person has no clue Charlie Weger is, but if you played fantasy sports, you had to mail it in or the facts or early on, odds are it was a Charlie Weger produced company. Yeah. What made him different from Charlie is emo was accessible to anyone. So was Charlie, but Charlie was part was more part of the power click. He wanted to help lead the industry. He wanted to do this. Emo had no desire of that. Emo was having fun making yeah, he's magazines. A guy. Yeah, yeah, he was having fun making magazines, meeting similar uh, peers. Because remember, he was back before the internet and, and, and the industry came together. Nobody really knew anybody. So he was into that. So not that Charlie, what Charlie did was bad. Uh, uh, not at all. It's just they took different paths. And, yeah, no, I hear you. Uh, uh, and, and, and I'll say this before we move on is I've come to realize scientifically it's proven we are beings of energy. Energy does not die. Something happens to it. Uh, right. uh, uh, so I no longer fear death in the traditional sense. As we grow up, we get scared to die. Not that I welcome it. <laughs> you know, I still want to live a few more years. <laughs> but yeah. I don't look at death. It's like if, if my day comes tomorrow, I'm okay with it. But it's funny. I'm okay with that with myself. But I get heartbroken when it happens to others or bad things happen to others. That's just life, I guess. But uh, my heart goes out to Emo, and uh, I hope he can beat the odds and persevere. But it's one of the few times I get angry at God and go, why do you take the good ones and leave yeah. too many bad ones? Yeah. yeah now, granted, that's just my opinion. But, man, when I think of Emo and what he's going through right now, that's what I think. because And he's human. I'm sure he had his dark side everybody, yeah, everybody has that <laughs> but i i never saw it all i ever saw was a happy and we would commiserate together too whether it was about the clicks how certain people treated us or how the corporations wanted to take the smaller companies out etc but we also rejoiced and, and, and had a few a lot of more fun beers than not and with that we will move on to our show uh but a shout out to emo Catholic and uh uh, uh his right hand man bob harris who early on Emo helped Bob so much, and now Bob's uh, uh, helping Emo, you know, that full circle. And that's a fun, not a fun, that's a happy tale to see the growth of another human being because of one man and that person he helped grow now is turning around to help him in his time of need. To me, there's no greater giving of humanity to one another than that. You know, as hard as I am, I get kind of soft when it comes to things like that. Because when you see people at their core and recognize good and bad, meaning a bad a person who's gonna who's who will throw you under the bus versus a person that never occurs, that's emo cat. And with that, Eddie, yep. uh, 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 I just want to say uh, I just want to send my condolences—not condolences, but you know, I'm sorry to the to the uh, emo family that you know that he's going through all this, and you know. Uh, just uh, we appreciate all your contributions. I met you a long time ago. I didn't know you very well, but I know who you were, and I know that you're a pioneer of the industry. And it's very much, very much appreciated how much you influenced others uh, to to be able to jumpstart their own businesses in the fantasy sports industry. So thank you. Amy. Yeah, yeah, yes, thank you, Mr. Catholic. Oh, and when people would always ask me for advice, first I said you need to meet one person before anybody else. Emo Catholic. 
and I did a lot of introductions. This is what win. Emo got a writer uh, to help uh, it, it, with Bob needed help, and they may or may not have gotten a free ad or got a reduced price on that ad. So God bless Emo. All right, Eddie, we got a great show today. Uh, we're still learning this process of combining entertainment with data, but we are growing and getting good at it. We're going to talk the Knicks and Raptors in their trade, and Big Eddie's going to break it down for us. We're also going to talk uh, 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 the Pistons losing streak. I had to find my notes are massive, so I can't just scroll down and see it. So uh, 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 we're going to talk about the Pistons and losing streak, some quick hits with Mark Cuban, and I want to hear Eddie's take on Zion Williamson and the scale. Uh, we're going to talk some NFL, the playoff hunt, final season. Look, Eddie, this is uh, not only the network's and streaming uh, uh, corporate bigwigs fantasy uh, dream, their orgasm. It's also the NFL to have more than you can count fantasy, uh, I'm sorry, playoff implications come the final week. So it's a big week. We're going to talk to MVP race, and Eddie, that's about a done deal, I believe. And Eddie and I are going to give you our best guesses on Black Monday. And that'll probably wrap it up. We have such a heavy show. And you know what the problem is? I came to realize this week is when I do a show, I lay it out like a radio show. And I had the epiphany today, the light bulb, the like, idiot, moron, kind of, kind of like Mo hitting Curly uh, or Larry, you know? It's like, duh, radio shows are four hours long. That's why my shows can never be done in an hour. I'm putting enough content for a minimum of two to three hours. Yeah, and I realized exactly. that last week, because I knew you probably saw all, that, all the stories, and you're probably thinking, what the bleep does he think we're going to talk about for for an hour? Right, so, so, right. So I kind of partitioned that all out, but uh, I need to not forget that. And with that, Eddie, let's get into it. All right, let's, let's do it. Basketball. So the Knicks and Raptors make a big trade. The the overview yep. of this is Toronto sent uh, uh, offensive guard. So at first, I thought that was initials, his initials. Uh, but offensive guard, how do you say that? Anunobi to New York in exchange to the Knicks in exchange for R.J. Barrett, Emmanuel, quickly and a second round pick. And so here's what they received. The Knicks received Anunobi, Malachi Flynn. Is that how you pronounce it? Malachi, Malachi Flynn. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard Malachi. It's not as uncommon name. Malachi Flynn, uh, Precious Achiuwa. Achua, Achua. Achua. Uh, the Raptors, so the Raptors received RJ Barrett, Emmanuel quickly, and, 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 the 2024 second round draft pick. And we, I had the names for those. Uh, I'll let you talk about that. But my first question to you is this trade. First, yep. what are the, why were the players traded? Players are traded because they're no longer wanted, needed, or off the court issue or whatever. So first question is, why did these teams get rid of these players? Second question is, what did the Knicks get out of it in terms of what their positives were? And what did the Raptors? So I can tell you, so I'll, I'll look from the New York Knicks point of view first. The New York Knicks are a good team. They are a playoff uh, contender um, and they have a pretty good, or they have a pretty good player in Julius uh, Randall, also Jalen Brunson. I mean, those two guys are really, really good players. RJ Barrett is a good player, but he's limited. He's limited because, you know, today's NBA, you have to be able to shoot. And he is a... I would say kind of an average shooter. Yeah. He's very streaky, but he's more of a, a drive and kick kind of player. You know, he would thrive on a team that has a bunch of shooters already. And the Knicks really don't have much shooting. Other, you know, quickly was a shooter, right? But he's a sixth man. He, he came off the bench. And it's primarily right, right. the reason why 
And the primary reason why is because Tom Thibodeau, who's the coach of the New York Knicks, is a very defensive-minded coach. You know, he's the one who, you know, you know, got Jimmy Butler started in his career at Chicago. And Jimmy Butler, when he came out of Marquette, was predominantly a defensive-minded player. And he evolved to become this two-way player that you see today where, you know, offense, he, he learned that over time and got good at it. But his, his right. foundation is defense, right? And that's what Tom Thibodeau wants. He wants more defensive-minded players. And Barrett and, and, and Emmanuel Quigley are definitely not that. Um, Barrett, like, like I said, he's a limited offensive player. He would thrive in a different situation, and we can get to that once we talk about the Raptors. So it makes sense from from uh, the New York Knicks side as as to why they want OG Ananobi, because OG Ananobi is actually a very very good defensive player. He's a bigger guy, uh, can shoot the three point shot, uh, but he's uh, you know I think he was second team All NBA like last year, so he's got yes, yes. some defensive credentials, right? So he's he's got. The, the, the ability to guard one through five. And that's, you know, when you have, when you have a player that can do that, they are very, very coveted. And that's the reason why multiple teams, not just the Knicks were inquiring about OG Ananobi. So, so I think it's a good fit for the Knicks. It's going to be interesting to see what happens, uh, you know, losing, you know, kind of the sixth man guy from Emmanuel quickly and how they shore up their shooting ability. Cause the Knicks, that's the one weakness is they really can't shoot very well. Now going to the Toronto Raptors point of view, Toronto Raptors, they gain Emmanuel quickly uh, because that team, the Raptors, is another team that is devoid of, of shooting. They are just, they don't have shooting. In today's NBA, you need to have some shooting, right? And they don't have it. Emmanuel quickly immediately becomes a starter on the team. So he brings some offensive punch. And they already have a pretty good playmaker um, that's not necessarily a point guard, but he's a point forward in Scotty Barnes. So, Scotty Barnes is, is a type of player that I think would help Emmanuel Quickly thrive offensively because Emmanuel Quickly is one of these players that can shoot at all three levels. He can drive to the bucket, he can do a mid-range shot, and he can also do a three-point shot. So I think that's going to be a, a good fit for him. Now, R.J. Barrett, that's the one that's kind of going to be – I think he's going to have a hard time fitting in there, honestly, because, you know, he's, he's limited from an offensive standpoint – and like I said earlier, he's the type of player that would thrive in a situation where he can drive and kick, drive and kick, and then, th you know, somebody else who shoots the three can get it, right? And then when when those guys are guarded, he can go ahead and take it up to the bucket because that's what he does. He's a very good driver. So, Eddie, so, when, you, yes. when you say drive and kick, you're talking about somebody who dribbles it up and looks the other way, boop, passes the ball to whoever. Yep. passes so, so the ball outside to a three-point shooter. Yes, that's got that's it, what he it. can do, and that's what he does well because he's like a – he's one of these downhill – uh, players and like a Giannis Antetokounmpo, he's the epitome of a downhill player. He just drives to the bucket and takes over. No one wants to get in front of him. LeBron James, the same thing. They're big guys, really? but they're very skilled to be able to dribble the ball. And that's why these guys can drive and kick because they're hard to guard. Uh, uh, RJ Barrett is that kind of a player, but just not as big, right, as Giannis or LeBron. But he can drive and kick to these guys. So it's going to be interesting to see how R.J. Barrett fares over at Toronto. But I, I can tell you, Emmanuel, quickly, I think that's a good fit for him. Um, and I think, uh, you know, but the, the other thing about Toronto is that they have a player in Pascal Siakam that's actually being shopped right now, you know. Um, they're, they're, I think the Raptors are in a mode of trying to rebuild and retool their team. They have a super, not a superstar. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold Yeah, they have an emerging superstar in Scotty Barnes, and then now they have a shooter in Emmanuel Quickly. Now it's going to see what, what's going to happen with Pascal Siakam. We'll see. Okay, uh, my question to you, though, is you said retool and rebuild. 
it's either one or the other. If you're rebuilding, it's like you're going to be a loser as you get maturity, experience with a young team, and there's retool. It's like you, you think you're missing a few pieces. To give you an example, the Minnesota Vikings thought they were in a retooling season. You know, <laughs> turns out they weren't. Yeah. So are they in a retooling or rebuilding mode? Or I would say uh, I would say it's probably more of a retool than a rebuild. I, I kind of use those, you know, as some in synonymous ways, right? I kind of use this the word to mean for both. But yeah, to be you know particular about it, yeah, you're right. It's it's rebuild is is a bigger word or it's a bigger change of your roster than a retool retool is more of a minor change whereas rebuild is a complete change so it's more of a retool um for for toronto uh because i think they do have some pieces that are good on that team but it's going to be interesting to see what they do with pascal siakam because he's definitely being shopped uh right now and there's teams definitely interested in, in getting him good good yeah eddie i make latinos look dumb enough already get your words right brother <laughs> I'm messing with you. So, so my original question then: this, uh, uh, it seems like you answered it with the with the belief that this was trade was done for needs. It wasn't one team trying to get rid of a bad egg or, or no. a player demanding out. So this, those are the best trade. Not not what I just said. I mean, how this trade. It's a win win. Yeah, exactly. It's, 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 it's a win win. It's a win win for both. I mean, both teams needed something that the other team can provide. That's the bottom line. Exactly. And that's that's exactly. that's the definition of a good trade. And I think this is a good trade. And 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 Eddie, it's hard to believe, based on what you're saying, you know, trading, rebuilding, retooling, that the Raptors just won a championship in 2019 with Anunobi. Yeah. And, and yeah, I'm I'm, yeah. I'm sore about that championship because they 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 they're, they're, they beat out my Warriors, and the Warriors were pretty much injured, and they still had a shot at winning that. But yeah, they won it. Yes. Yeah. And, it you know, and, they won and, it. Well, yeah. And when you were talking defense, it made me think of Dennis Rodman. The guy couldn't shoot for squat, but he was a physical player, a great rebounder, and a defensive specialist, and he knew and understood his role. So I've always felt when you're building a basketball team, there's there's quite a very variety of ways of building it. But then again, when you got the GOAT, when I the only sport where you can art, where you can sit there and, and, and probably get the most consensus agreement of who the GOAT is, is Michael Jordan. Uh, but my point is, is Dennis Rodman was a specialty too. So there's always a role for a specialist in this league. I mean, and uh, 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 I'm digressing, but it just made me think. I remember seven footers. They may they may be average at best, some of them, but they will always have a job for ten to twelve years just because they're seven feet and they could be a body in there. You know, I find that sure. as hysterical. You know, so uh, yep, yep. But so I think I think the, I I think the 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 old school centers being only you know down low post players. I think that's pretty much you know they're they're, they're that's almost over and gone. They're not going to be very valuable to to a team. There are some exceptions to that rule, but for the most part, you know, you have a Joel Embiid, you have a Nikola Jokic, um, you know, those type of players, you know, they're, they're the ones that, you know, that that's what the, T, the GMs are coveting now is a player like that, you know, so. No, you're right. Wimbledon, you're right. So, yeah. You're right. I, I agree, but I also think part of it is the one answer you can hear from everybody as the only answer, but it's only one of the answers, a part of the formula. The evolvement of the game. Players are our health, the way we eat, the supplements. We're getting bigger, stronger, faster. And that includes big men. But it's also the rule changes, wanting more offense. That's the right. second part. So so they relax some of the rules. And the third formula is cheating. 
I mean, ball over hand or traffic. Those they don't call those anymore on the superstars. It's it's in the rules. And the reason I say that is, that's the reason they were able to uh, create a gambling. Uh, 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 back with Tim, what's his name again? Tim. Uh, 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 the Reverend Donahue. Donahue. Tim Donahue. Because he goes, those rules are there. Let watch me mess I, uh, 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 Iverson's game up. And he kept calling him. Uh, what did they call it? Over the hand dribbling. Palming, uh, uh, palming. Yeah, that's illegal. He kept calling now and traveling too. And, you know, so they just, they allow rules that should be enforced for the betterment of the game because I think those little rule cheats, they affect the outcome of the game. LeBron James isn't allowed to take that third step. You know, he loses 20,000 points. <laughs> I'm exaggerating, obviously. But you see my point? And the reason I say that is he traveling with the three seconds left to, to lay it up? Make the rule. He doesn't get. Uh, it's easy. To, I'm, I'm not picking on LeBron. He's just the most recognizable name today. But that's what. That's one reason I stopped being a fan. I'm not a purist, but don't cheat by not enforcing rules because it benefits your superstar player. He should have to play. You know, it's kind of like the quarterback in, in the NFL. Tom Brady will get that call, you know, and Kirk Cousins will be mobbed, throw down, get a broken rib, a torn ACL, and they won't make the call, you know. So so I always <laughs> loathe uh, 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 referees who do that. And the league encourages that. I get it. Oh, you got to protect your players. You got to protect absolutely. your players. But you can't give them an advantage. And at basketball, they give the superstars an advantage. Right. Absolutely. I 100% agree with that because it frustrates me. Every time I watch a Warrior game, that Curry rarely gets any calls. He doesn't. And, and for whatever reason, I don't know why, but he never gets the calls. Whereas LeBron gets every freaking call when he goes to the basket. I'm like, what is this? I mean, they're both pretty much close to the same level as far as superstar, you know, in the NBA. Pretty close. I would say NBA. LeBron's more in, in the, the NBA. NBA. But this in the is NBA. where I – but when you – and it's funny. I just want to point this out. When you leave the NBA – Everybody's still going to know who LeBron is, but not Stephon Curry. And I'm not saying that's no, the reason why. That's BS. That's BS. I'm calling you on that one, man. No way. You can call me and I'm not saying that just because I live in the Bay we can not go. We can go to a stranger on the street who doesn't know basketball and go, do you know who Steph Curry is? They're going to say no. You They'll say yes. Yeah. They'll yeah, say yes it, to it, both. It's, it's like Michael Jordan and Steve Kerr. Well, maybe not Steve Kerr, but uh, – It's uh, not, man. Scotty Pippen, yeah. Get him. There's a big – Come on, man. This is this this is my this is my territory, man, and I know no, this, no, no, there is no, no. no it's way. not the sport. They it's are both the, very similar no, no, level. They are both no, at the I'm very similar level. About, I'm not talking about their rings. I'm not talking about their back. No, I'm talking about name recognition. They're both very similar. When you are when you are LeBron James, an 18 year old, leave, and then you eventually wind up with the Lakers. That is the greatest marketing tool in the NBA. Like New York with the Giants, uh, San Francisco with the Niners. Uh, 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 there's a transition uh, of, of who you know. Shaq is known uh, because of hell, he was like a freak. Not a. No, I get. I, I know what you're saying, man. The brand of the, where the team that he lands at makes makes a difference. But makes I'm telling you right now, Steph, Stephen Curry has similar name recognition. Not exactly, but very similar to LeBron James. LeBron James is more, but <laughs> Steph Curry's not that far behind. I'll tell you that right now. And it's, it's people, the truth. Research that, man. I'm telling you. This is the difference between Eddie and I. He hedges. Well, I'm not sure, but most, you know, you're like, I'll give myself a little out here. I'm decisive. No. You can go to the person who doesn't know basketball. And I'm not talking America, man. I'm talking worldwide. You know? And I may be wrong, because worldwide in China, 
They may all know who Steph Curry is. So it depends on Everybody in the world knows who Steph Curry is. But I, I can tell you, the game. I go to Panama. The game. I go to Panama. And I mention he Steph Curry. The game. And they won't know who he is, but they will know who LeBron is. That's just how it they, goes. He changed the game as we know it right now. He did. And what did he change? The way that the shooting is valued way more than it was in the past. And now you have this three-point line, which is now it's it's now a weapon. Whereas before it was like, what are you doing shooting the three all the time? This guy changed it so that all these kids are trying to replicate the game of Steph Curry. More than LeBron so James. Is, so so this is right. I completely disagree. They didn't change the game. You disagree, they, man, but this, let, that's let a me fact. Finish. Let me finish. He elevated um, the game. He uh, The three-point shot was created. There were great three-point shooters. Then Steph sure. elevated that. You know, yes. it's kind of like it's kind of like Fran Tarkenton. He was probably the purest uh, 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 in his time scrambling quarterback. And then Michael Vick took it to another level. You know, uh, I, I always hate it when people throw the people who started this under the bus because they didn't watch him play or they're not famous or there's no film on them. And I'm not picking on you, Eddie. It's something it's just an issue I've had uh, 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 because there are predecessors to everything nothing just starts at that level after it's already been established it's like dr j it sickens me how he he has not been completely forgotten but he's an asterisk because oh yeah dr j boy he was a high flyer he was arguably the first high flyer you know he's been forgotten to a certain degree so so that's how yeah, I but more, more more people can identify with steph curry and his abilities and they can replicate it more quickly than lebron james's abilities i mean anybody well, I can go no out there and try and was it? I have no clue on that. I mean, I, I don't follow basketball in depth enough to know to know that. No, I know, but that's what I'm saying. That's my whole point is that he. A lot of people identify with his skill set. He's only like what six two, six three. If he has like a higher, you know, high uh, sneakers that have a you know higher heels, but you know he's not that tall. But his skill set of shooting is what changed the NBA. It's changed the NBA as we speak today, and it's and it's going to continue this way until something else happens but everybody values shooting now because of him gotcha all right all right we will move on the final question i have for you on the straight is what are your expectations and predictions for it meaning who do you think will win out on this trade and do you think this trade will actually help make these players better players i think it's going to help new york more than the raptors right now only because new york is already a, a pretty good playoff team as it is right now and i think this is just going to solidify them to be even a better uh, playoff team. The Raptors are retooling. They're they're fighting for playoff uh, positioning right now. I mean, the, the season's still early, but yeah. you know this is a better fit for them. You know, in order to 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 essentially round out the construct of their team. You know, th this is a tool that helps them more than you know what they had. So no, yes, I, I agree that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's the equivalent of somebody going to the Niners or going to the New York Giants, you know, in terms of production and how to work out. That makes perfect sense. All right, Eddie, talk to me about the Detroit Pistons ending their losing streak. First of all, uh, talk to me about that, but I, I have to ask this question. How the hell does a coach keep his gig losing that many games? You know, I, I, I was thinking about this, and, you know, Monty, Monty Williams is a very well-respected head coach. First and foremost, I mean, he, you know, started out in, at the New Orleans Pelicans, you know, kind of helped the Chris Paul, uh, you know, at the time when he was first starting out in his career, become the player that he is today. He's very highly regarded in the NBA because of the way he communicates with his players. Uh, he did. He had a pretty good squad at Phoenix, too. Um, and, you know, for whatever reason, he, you know, the way that the team was constructed, 
it just didn't work. And, you know, I think, you know, the, the, the last year when they didn't necessarily do that well, when they were had the expectations to do better, that's that was just kind of he became the scapegoat, honestly, unfortunately. Um, because I think the Phoenix Suns as an organization at that time was kind of going through its issues, you know, with, with the with the issues with the with the owner uh, and some of the uh, off the off the court kind of issues that were going on there uh, yeah. with respect to racism. So I, I think oh, that, right, that, that, right. that 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 kind of didn't help the situation. But Monty Williams, I think I think he's one of these type of coaches that is there to 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 to, to essentially instill a certain culture within an organ, a young organization. And he did that in New Orleans and, and turned that, uh, organ, uh, that, that organization around. And as long as, you know, the, um, uh, the Pistons are patient, you know, I think they, they can be patient with him. I think that's why they're doing this is because he was brought on board to essentially figure out what he has, who's good to stay in his system and who needs to go, you know, out of the system. The thing is, is that, you know, the, the, the GM, I think, you know, uh, he, he, he uh, let me see, what is the GM's name here? Uh, Troy Weaver, that's his name. So Troy Weaver and him, I think, are, are trying to figure out how to build this team moving forward. And, you know, the, 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 the Pistons have really good talent in, you know, Cade Cunningham, who was the number, number one overall pick like three years ago. You have Jaden Ivey, who's a really, really explosive you know, kind of driving kick kind of player, but he's ex- so fast. He's an extremely fast player. So you have those two guys who are really, really good. And then you have an emerging center in Jalen Duren, um, and then with a backup center of uh, James Wiseman, who's also kind of emerging as well. But the thing is that they have a lot of the same players. They have a James Wiseman. They have a Jalen Duren. They have uh, 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 Marvin Bagley. You know, all these guys, you know, they're, they're similar, right? So it's like, the, the, and, and, and they, they can essentially do something with that is if they were to go ahead and flip it to another team, you know, and get some something right. in return. So I think that they're, 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 he's there to being brought in to change the culture. You know, they're a young team with a lot of, lot of youth, very little as far as uh, veterans go. I think Alec Burks might be their oldest veteran, veteran on the team. They have Bojan Bogdanovic, who's another veteran that came from the Nets. Um, so, you know, the, these guys are guys that can help the, the youth, but it, I think that's the reason why he has a long leash. I think that he has the season to figure out what he has and, and figure out how we can fix it moving forward. So I think that's the reason why he didn't get fired, but thankfully, you know, it ended at 28 and it didn't get any worse because if it, it kept getting worse, then I think something may have happened, but maybe, maybe not till the end of the year. And, and I feel like an idiot. I'm trying to, uh, I'm having a brain freeze here. The first individual, the first round pick, he's the one who, who literally won, helped win that game for him to, to end the, 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 the losing streak. Uh, uh, and you know what, Eddie? Uh, maybe I, I asked it the wrong way. I'm, I'm not, I, I, as you were chatting, I was uh, talking, I, I was realizing he's got to have a decent relationship, the general manager with the owner. And because the reason I said, I asked, why wasn't he fired already? Because that's usually an owner's first reaction to get the fans to come back and watch the games. So when you start losing like that, you tend to take a hit at the stadium, which tends to circulate on down the merchandise, the food, et cetera, et cetera. So owners right. react without thinking. So he must have a great relationship with, with the with ownership to go 28 games uh, uh, and not get fired. you know. But I also think coaches – uh, uh, instill an offense and a scheme and, and, and to create a culture. Yes. And I think that is the basis 
to building the foundation to a championship. But at the end of the day, I think it's the players who make or break the head coach with the wins and losses uh, uh, as they implement what the coach is trying to teach him. Because the coach has no control of that on there. Uh, yeah, they, they, uh, they, they, they have no control of how they perform. They can only exactly. set them up to for, 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 for success. Exactly. Uh, but, so, you know, uh, you know uh, yeah. What I was going to say, uh, William, is that, you know, I'm going to bring it back to a Bay team. You know, the Warriors, for years, were a horrible franchise. For years. <laughs> okay. And, and you know, Don Nelson kind of got him back. Yep. You know, yep. Don, Don, Don Nelson's second tenure as, uh, you know, brought him to the league. Yeah, he got him to respectability, but they're a very offensive-oriented team. They always have been, unless they're in the '70s, where they were like you know more of a a, a, a well-rounded team with Rick Barry, right. Lee Thurman, Al Adels, you know, all those guys. So, but bring it to you know 2011, they brought in Mark Jackson out of the broadcast booth at ESPN. That's right. And, brought, and Mark Jackson was brought there to change the culture. He changed yep. the culture to make them a more defensive-minded team. And he had, you know, three years with them. And I think he instilled that culture. And the Warriors have become a very, very good defensive team. And I think the same thing's happened with Monty Williams. I think he's there to build a culture and, and filter out what is good for that team and what is not moving forward. And I think he's probably given some leeway, maybe a, a couple of years to figure this out. And that's probably why you, you didn't see him get, get, get And it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes coaches aren't there to bring the championship as much as to change the culture, to set it up for whoever comes next that brings the championship. It's sad, but true. And it's not meant to be that way. That just seems what happens. Like when you say it, talk, mentioned Don Nelson, who, who, who's the moron? And I don't like him because of his politics in Denver. Uh, 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 he's retired now, retired now, white guy, balding. Uh, uh, he's on Twitter at time or X on time, had, has issues with other former players. Uh, who is that guy? Uh, You're talking uh, about George Carl? Yeah, George Carl. The George Carl yeah. and the Don Nelsons of the world. Uh, and I think George Carl may have won a ring decades ago, but I can't remember. But they, when I see them get hired, to me, it's like, oh, you're getting hired to change the culture. You're just gonna, the, your job is to take the losing franchise and put them on the road to a championship, but you're not going to be there to see that championship. That's kind of how, how I view certain coaches. And I, yeah. I have no clue on Monty Williams, but uh, I do know this. They have not been above 500 since the 2015-2016 season. So maybe this was uh, – uh, uh, maybe the GM and, and the coaching staff was able to show ownership. Look. It's it a process. Worse. Yeah, yeah. In game right. 10, look, owner, it could get worse. Let him yep. develop, and, and that will happen. So good for the ownership on that. And uh, these 28 straight losses I discovered in my research are the most in a single NBA season. The 76ers had that had 28 losses, but it was over two seasons. And during World War II, the Chicago Cardinals set the record for the four American major Canadian leagues. I couldn't find what the losses were, but I just thought it was kind of cute, nostalgic. The Chicago Cardinals, because people hear that, huh? What the hell is that? You know, <laughs> people, do you remember the Feagles during World War II? Uh, oh. uh, the Steelers and the Eagles combined because they didn't have enough players. They were all out fighting. And if I remember, it was like this. They became the Steagles or Feagles or something like that. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Those are, that, that's what my friend calls, uh, uh, my wife calls useless information that bothers her when she's trying to nap while watching her. <laughs> uh, all right, oh. Eddie, thank you for that info. Uh, uh, oh, sure. my final question. Can they rise above 500, or is this a completely lost year that is built oh, no, to get that year. experience? They're, 
this this year is meant to figure to, to instill that culture and to figure out what players stay and go for next year. And that and this is a process a process of of building this team up uh, to get back to where the Detroit Pistons have been in the past. Exactly, exactly. So what do we got next, Eddie? What's next on hand? What's what's that? What's next on tap or what's on tap? Well, we were wanted to talk about Zion, right? Oh, Zion. Okay, yeah, I, I wasn't sure if it was Cuban or Zion. Uh, uh, well, yeah, I figured I, I'd let you decide. All right, all right. Talk to me. First of all, I love Zion Williamson. I loved him when he was at Duke. I, I knew he was going to leave after that first year, but I was concerned because the man loves the buffet line. The man loves, <laughs> he, he, he loves going from that 10 minute lifting the beer workout to going to eat on the buffet. Now I say this in jest, but it's a serious issue with him because of how young he is, how injury prone he is and how big he's ballooned up at times. So uh, I want to lay it out to that. This has caused not that eating, but the, but not being able to get on the court has caused right. his $193 million contract to no longer be guaranteed. Now, the contract was always a risky one because of his, his injury history. But right. tell me a little bit about uh, about how it, how it came to be to lose a guaranteed contract. And I had no idea if you know this, Eddie, and I didn't ask it in my notes, but I'm curious. I would imagine that the, the union does not like seeing a guaranteed contract. Uh, 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 Getting revoked. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, so, so talk well, to us a little bit about that. Well, you know, the, the thing is that, you know, give it to the New Orleans Pelicans uh, management for, you know, having done this where they actually had an out clause, a trigger, if you will, based on his injury history, where, you know, if a certain metric wasn't hit, then they had essentially an out clause, meaning that they wouldn't necessarily make the, the, the tail end of his contract guaranteed. And that's the reason why this got triggered is because, you know, he didn't pay, he only played like 29 games last right. year and in total in five seasons, this guy's only played 142 games out of a possible 410, right? 410, that's like 35% uh, being on the court. And, you know, not everyone plays all 82 games. It's, it's rare that you see that. But you're gonna, you need more than 35% use, uh, ability to stay on the court. I would say, you know, this, they were counting on him to be at least 75% available. And I think that's a pretty good expectation for, you know, a guy of his caliber because, you know, this kid is electric. I mean, he is, oh, he yeah. is a, he's a springy guy. And it's incredible that how springy this guy is at 285 pounds. I mean, this guy can jump out of a gym at 285 pounds. Can you imagine if he just lost 30 pounds? how much more athletic this guy is going to look. I mean, you compare him to like a LeBron James. LeBron James is 6'9", 250. And LeBron James is noticeably wow. a big guy. But this yeah. guy is 285 pounds, 35 pounds more, and can jump higher than LeBron James. I mean, get granted, LeBron James is almost 40 years old, right? But even at his peak, this guy jumps higher than LeBron James at 285 pounds. So, I, you know, kudos to the, to, to the management of the Pelicans to figure this out and come up with something that would provide some incentive, you know, and I think, it, I think it can provide them some, some incentive. And the other thing is that even though this part of his contract is no longer guaranteed right now, he can get back that guarantee as long as he, you know, meets certain weight metrics and games played metrics. So he can get, he can get there as, as well as body fat uh, metrics. So oh he, he, he can still get it back. So, uh, but I gotta say, I, I've never seen anything like this before. 
And I think it's actually pretty shrewd of, of, of the management to do something like this. And I think you're going to see more of this moving forward, honestly, from other players. Oh, other I, I don't think so. I think it's a one and done because I think the union is extremely so. powerful with the NBA. And, I, I don't uh, think so. Uh, when it's warranted, they'll do it. When no, it's no, no, warranted, I agree with you. Yeah. But the, the union is not about working together, doing what's right. They, they're going to get everything. So uh, uh, I mean, t- the unions in baseball, basketball, and even football, there's been situations where the union comes to a player who's working on specific deals that you can't do that part of the deal, even when the player wants to. It's like because you're going to set precedent and you're going to screw it up for everybody else. Now, I'm not saying that's right or wrong, fair or not, but that's what the union is probably going to try to do uh, in this case. You know, how I do I do have an uh, – uh, 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 if the audience hasn't figured out, Eddie's such an optimist. I'm the more, nah, this is going to happen, <laughs> the more negative uh, guy. So I do have – and not a negative point to make. Look, some scouts have noted he's less explosive and less impactful than he was yes. just a couple of seasons ago. And, and, and he's only 23. That he seems slower. That he fails to deliver on his overall play and defensive impact. And off the court, with I'm sorry, Zion, off, it took me, not being the basketball stud like you are, it took me a second to digest this. Uh, uh, not, so when Zion is not playing, He's off the court. The Pelicans are 4.8 points per 100 possessions better. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I translated that. So for every 100 possessions, they're averaging about five points more is what I got out right. of it. I don't know if that's right. a different maker. But then again, there's a lot of close playoff games. So my question to you, Eddie, is twofold because I'm not sure. When I read this, I'm like, well, hey, if he's fat, of course that's how he's going to be right now. He's got to lose some weight. But right. the understanding I got is that he's been pretty healthy this year. He, he's kept his weight down, and yet the scouts are saying this now about him. So how does this fit into everything you said? And uh, uh, I guess I'm just a little confused. Is he still a big guy, or is he down with his weight? And if he's down with his weight, and they're saying this, what does that mean for him long term? Because it sounds like he may have already peaked, if that's, and he's only 23. Uh, and, and I'm not saying that, but I'm like trying to read between the lines. That's what I kind of get out of it. But I'm a little confused on it, so, so break it down. It's because the, primarily Zion Williamson is more of an offensive threat than a defensive player. That's the main reason why you're seeing that. And, you know, the, 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 the GMs value players more that are, have that superstar capability like he has, but that also can do some of the defensive end work, right? Which is, you know, something that we harp on on James Harden, one of your favorite guys. He's a very offensive-oriented guy, but yeah. his defense is very, very questionable. We have the same kind of thing going on with Zion. I mean, I think, see, the thing is, is defense requires a lot of effort and a lot of effort and a lot of energy, right? And this guy, he he knows he doesn't have that much energy. He's more of a bursty kind of energy type of guy because of his makeup. You know, he's 285 pounds, right? So it, it, it takes a lot of energy to keep moving that 285 pounds. So he's going to conserve his energy for the offensive end so he can be explosive, which is what that team needs sometimes to, for him to do because he's unstoppable down low nobody can stop him down low he's just too big and too strong and too athletic but when you get him on the defensive end people know that he's a defensive yeah. liability because he's conserving his energy you know he can play defense it's just that i think he chooses not to because of his ability to conserve you know of, of, of utilizing his energy on both ends of the floor i don't think he can do it and if he loses weight i think he could help him for sure but I think it's also more of an attitude, too. I mean, you have to play defense well. It's an attitude. You have to want to do it. And I think players like him, they'd rather 
use you know all their energy on the offensive end because that's where all the eyes are on is on the offensive end. that's how you get paid is on the offensive end the defensive end you don't get paid as much it's the offensive end that really does it but now players when they play both ends like a Giannis Antetokounmpo who's elite at both ends Jimmy Butler who's elite at both ends they get paid a lot of money because they can do both ends right so that's what right. some of these players figure out you know and what you said is uh 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 and that hits me hard in a way, because to me, I always talk about greatness and being great. Uh, and to me, that's what made help make Michael Jordan uh, transcend being great and, and transcend. When you say the word greatness and you talk basketball, Michael Jordan is what you're saying. And the reason I say that is because you're right, Eddie. He was one of the top offensive players of all time, but he was also, uh, and this is what I don't like about the fans and the general fan. Most fans didn't know he was also a superstar defensive specialist. I love Michael Cooper for the Lakers because he wasn't a naturally talented offensive star. He was a defensive specialist. I loved, oh my gosh, was it Dennis Scott for the Celtics in the 80s about that time? Oh, uh, no, uh, 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 oh man, down with the freckles. Yeah, freckles. Uh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Dennis Johnson. Dennis Johnson. I loved him yeah. too. It's because it, it, it takes so much more heart. It's so much more will, so much more dedication, so much more practice. It's like me with my late hours. People are like, wow, I'm like, what do you mean? Well, I have to do that if I want this to work, period, end of story. So when I look at those, so when you tell me that about Zion Williams, it's disappointing to me, you know, to, to hear that because I'm like, oh my God, that God-given uh, 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 gift. And, and, and you're not squandering it away, but you're not fulfilling it to its greatest impact. But hey, in his defense, maybe he needs an extra cheeseburger for those carbs to get that explosive burst. Because you said the key, I can't remember the word you said, but it fell right in line with my notes in which I wrote explosive. He's an explosive player. So if he's not somebody who's going to be going 100 miles an hour back and forth, he's going to be going 40 miles and boom, be hitting 130 yep. miles. You know, I can like, just imagine how much better this guy would be 30 pounds less. He would be ridiculous. He would be better than LeBron is right now from an explosive standpoint. And LeBron's like, and, we're talking about peak LeBron, not right now yeah. LeBron. Oh, yeah, yeah, Le yeah, yeah. Hey, yeah. Even right now, LeBron's still better than than, 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 uh, than half the league, you know? Yeah, but he's not as as explosive, you know, as, right. as he's, he's, he's more of an outside shooter facilitator now. But yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and driver at times. Yeah, it's kind of like the veteran wide receiver, the veteran defender of football. They can't rely on their speed and physical ability. They got to rely on the savviness of being a veteran and, and, and looking at it from that perspective and, and having their experience dominate the inexperience. So, yeah, I get that. You know, and the final note that we'll move on is sometimes no matter how good you are, no matter how talented, talented you are, sometimes your body just doesn't play along meaning you're injury prone or you're something like that. And when I see Zion and his injuries, I wonder about that. Is he just, is, is the fact that he needs a large mass to be explosive, but he hasn't found the right formula of what that mass is versus the curbing of the eating. And then he, and even if he finds the perfect size, it still may be too big to handle the bones to handle that. And this isn't every player, every human being is unique in their makeup. And those are the worst injuries. Uh, those are the worst Worst careers I hate to see because it's I hate to see a career down by injuries and yeah. being perpetually injured than the, the lack of talent. All right, my friend. I wanted to segue into something still NBA related, but I wanted to ask you oh, a couple okay. of questions. I know I know you a little bit. I know you know about this more than I do, but you know I know that uh, 
Mark Cuban is uh, so, uh, sold some of his uh, ownership, you know, uh, of, of the land, of the uh, of the Mavericks. And I just wanted to right, kind of get your right. as to you know what 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 this is prompt what what prompted this and what do you think is going to happen as a result of this? Uh, the business of sports, yeah, that's something I prided myself on learning because I felt understanding the business of sports could help you make solid business decisions for the fans out there and give them the best product. Now, Cuban said when he bought the Mavericks in two thousand. He understood technology. Uh, uh, reading between the lines, he was going to use technology to help elevate the game, etc. Uh, 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 on a side note, he became a billionaire when when Yahoo bought his radio internet streaming company. When he yep. sold that, I swear to God, Eddie, my wife and I think Ryan may have been in the room. I said that's the biggest con job because that it's they overpay for it and it's not going to exist in a couple of years. Sure, it didn't even take six months. He pulled the greatest con job uh, of all, and I'm not knocking him for it. I'm just saying that's a reality of what happened but he had vision he was able to pull it off so god bless yeah. him for that you know uh now that said the valuation of the, the the team is three and a half billion now there is a difference between valuation and what you actually get financially for it uh so he sold approximately 70 percent of his ownership and the reason he says he sold it is because he sees real estate as an advantage in NBA ownership. And I researched this and I couldn't find it, but it's a confusing statement because, well, how is it an advantage? The advantage I see is bringing an enterprise into the area. So meaning you're not gonna look just to build a, a, a basketball uh, a, 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 a arena. You're gonna do what baseball has done. When the, the Orioles built Camden Yards or Petco Park, they not only put the, the, the ballpark there, they, the ballpark was the heart of that whole area. So you had restaurants, hotels, tourists, everything. In, 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 in San Diego, it's a beautiful event. So that's what I got out of him because he sold it to a Vegas uh, a, a group of two families. And uh, they're gambling. They want gambling in Texas. They're fighting right. to get gambling. And in, 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 in Las Vegas, you no longer build a hotel. You build an epicenter around the hotel. Whether New York, New York, now known for, is it New York, New York? where they have all the roller coasters. Uh, they have the yeah. four hotels tied together, all the restaurants. You got the Venetian with, with yes. the, the, the biblical look on the ceiling. With all, so it, it's an event. So that's what I got out of it. And uh, uh, so it's going to be governed by Patrick Dumont, Adelson's son-in-law, and he's the Las Vegas Sands uh, president. And uh, uh, this, so that's why he did it. I was shocked. Because he lives through 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 the uh, uh, Mavericks. Now, God bless Mark Cuban. What he's done as a capitalist, I marvel at. I'm not a fan of Mark Cuban, the human, you know, sexual issue, sexual assault issues in in the complex there. Uh, he's he's a bigot. He he's okay with with uh, uh, the Muslims uh, uh, in, in, in camps in China making basketball gear. He refuses to talk about it. If, if he's in an interview, somebody brings it up, he chastises the person as if they're wrong for bringing up a legitimate question that the NBA condones slavery in China, because they do. That's not conjecture. That's a fact. So I'm not a big fan of his. But that said, overall, and the reason I bring this up, Eddie, I want to be real with the audience. This is who Mark Cuban is. But he's been good for the game of basketball. He's been good for the city of Dallas. And he's been phenomenally great for the franchise of the Mavericks. So I think that 
seeing him leave his majority owner is not a good thing for the short term. But the big thing for the long term is what the Adelsons and those families can do, bringing in the mentality of what they, how they see the future of the NBA. Because the future may not be in America. They may eventually have it right. in China. How, how they make that work, I have no clue. But so, so this you build a you build a little empire where each uh, uh, arena is is something bigger than itself is something good for 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 the uh, and for the for the NFL for the NBA. Now the real quick a little side note on the Adelsons strong uh, uh, Republican donors strong uh, uh, champions of Israel and, and, and the Jewish nation not good or bad it's who and what they are they are hated by half of the country. You know, the Addisons are. So uh, I found it ironic that Cuban, who is everything they are not in terms of how he wants you to see him as a human being and, and as a political uh, uh, individual, uh, leads me to one conclusion. Everyone has a price. You have a price. I have a price. Everybody has a price. People who say, I don't have a price, it's because you've never been offered anything of significance. You know, but he had his price. And I'm not saying that in a good or bad way. I'm saying that that's human nature, brother Eddie. We all have a problem. Yep. So I found we that interesting. And the final note on that is Cuban will be the alternate governor, meaning he'll be the de facto if everything goes to hell with the guys running the show and right. uh, uh, with a 27% stake. So it wasn't 70%. It looks like he sold a uh, uh, 73% of that, which is literally, I mean, I think his stake is just to keep him in the game, you know, but he will also remain in control of basketball operations. So th this is a great deal for Cuban and the NBA. I'm not sure how good a deal it is for the Mavericks short term, uh, uh, but the Addisons aren't cheap, meaning they, they've always struck me as willing to spend when spending is needed. So right. maybe, so, so overall, not, not a bad, a bad deal. I, there's a quote I put in my notes and I had no clue what he was talking about, but it kind of goes in my hand of, of, of what we were talking about in terms of why going with real, real estate, uh, why, why making that statement. But overall, a good deal for the NBA and uh, 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 God bless Mark Cuban as an owner, not so much as a humanitarian. And there <laughs> you have it, my friends, cool. uh, uh, the sale uh, of the Dallas Mavericks. Any questions oh. for me, Eddie, on that? No, no, I, I said that, that's a good breakdown. Thanks for uh, educating me and the audience about, you know, what this meant, you know, long term for the NBA, uh, you know, this move. Uh, it could be, you know, more of a real estate thing, it sounds like moving forward. Um, but staying on the business side of things, you know, uh, tell me a little bit more about, you know, the passing of Herb Cole, who used to be the Bucks owner, uh, used to be in politics as well. You know, I just heard some news about that. And, you know, for the audience sake and for my sake, you know, I, I know you're pretty knowledgeable on this front. So maybe you can just share a little bit about the perspective of what this what this guy meant for the NBA. Actually, I had written him out of the show, uh, uh, but real quick, uh, meaning we don't have it sometimes. So I apologize to you and the audience for not letting you know. Uh, but her co see, just like Mark Cuban is instrumental to the game of basketball. You know, meaning the fans may hate him. You know, we live in a tribalistic world where color rules over culture, over smartness. Uh, but certain things, we need to educate ourselves to become better human beings and to understand the process better. Mark Cuban is elevating basketball. Herb Cole, I don't want to say he saved basketball because I haven't finished my research, but he introduced revenue sharing. He went to the commissioner and says, if we don't get revenue sharing, this is going to be a league, and I'm speculating. I'm, I'm speculating how the conversation probably went. Herb telling the, the, the NBA commissioner, 
if we don't institute revenue sharing, this league is going to be a league made up of about five teams: the Knicks, the Bulls, the the the, the Lakers, and not even the not the the, the not even go to San Francisco would have been included as part of the survivability because they were really bad losers back then. But back then, but, San, yeah. but but San Diego, you know, even Miami, uh, they weren't even around back then. But the smaller markets, they were dying. Basketball, Eddie, and hockey. At one point, as kids. The only time I got to watch it, and I couldn't watch it much, was because it was on after 11.30, tape delay. That's how unpopular it was. So when people talk about, about Jordan and, 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 and Magic and Bird saving the game, well, really, it was uh, uh, Magic and, and, and Bird, because Jordan right. came after them, who saved right. the game. That's what I'm that's talking good. about. And part of the key that you never hear talked about is revenue sharing. Revenue sharing is why the NFL is the number one sports in America. Now, maybe people go, oh, that's what number two. No, we're talking number one sport by by 80 million people watching the Super Bowl on a down year to six to 10 million watching a great year in the NBA finals. That's a disparity. But that's what Herb Cole did. Herb Cole was a champ. He's a Democrat. And for all you out there, I'm a conservative. I'm not, I'm a registered Republican, but I am a conservative. I register as a Republican because they're closer to my values than the Democrat Party. But I used to be a Democrat, a liberal, uh, uh, not a Democrat. I used to be what you would call a blue-collar liberal. And that's what Herb Cole was. And what the blue-collar liberal represented was you and me, the working-class Joe. And and because he wants, he wanted the working-class Joe to have the same opportunities to do better. You've done better than the average working class Joe. I've done better than the average working class Joe. And it's because of people like Herb Cole. And Herb Cole was a champion for the small market team. You know, he bought the Milwaukee Bucks because he wanted it to stay in Milwaukee. When he sold the Milwaukee Bucks, he sold them to ownership who said, I'm only selling this if you keep the team here. And to help, the, to help make the sale, he pledged like millions to build that new arena they got. I think it was completed like 2018, right around there. Them and the and new ownership built that. That's how important it was to have a professional sports team in a small market. So when I look at uh, Herb Cole, I look at him just as I look at Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, mm-hmm. you know, because these are the behind the scenes individuals that saved the game of basketball. Whereas Jordan, Curry, LeBron have elevated the basketball uh, world into a worldwide right. industry. Herb Cole and Magic Johnson and Larry Bird saved the the game. You know, so when I saw that he passed, and again he was a blue collar Democrat, meaning he cared more for the people. Today's Democrat has become yesterday's Republican. They just care about uh, the institutions they've aligned themselves with. Uh, and the Republicans are the same way. Today's political beast understands the power players don't care about the working class. And that's what makes Herb Cole so special in my eyes. And God bless him. People may hate politicians, but there were a few. He was worth about $250 million when he served. But they say you could approach him just like you could approach a bum on the street. That's cool. Meaning, you know, huh. so, so God bless you, Herb Cole. Thank you for what you did. Uh, and I'm not even a big basketball fan anymore like I used to be. But when I look at him, those are that's greatness, Eddie. He no. changed the game. That's good. I'm glad to hear. Owners come and go. You know. I'm glad and, to and hear. With that, and with that, you know, Eddie, uh, 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 I'm going to give you a choice here. Do we continue with the show at the one hour mark, or do we close it and just do another football show? Let's just close it out and do another show. 
All right, my friends, there you have it. I want to remind the audience first, thank you for tuning into this all MBA show. I love uh, talking to Eddie and, and, and my red, white, and rude co-host, uh, Sean King, because they are what you call nice guys. Sean's more like me, but the one thing I do realize is I can get these guys rattled up, Eddie. No, no, Guillermo, I challenge you on that one. But that's what I also love. I love people who aren't afraid to chat. So thank you for tuning in to this NBA uh, episode. And do not forget, you can check this show out, the sports show, our political shows, and our pop culture entertainment show at Grumblings Media, as well as on YouTube and Rumble. And please follow us there, too, under the profile Grumblings Media, as well as our traditional podcast stations, Google, Apple, Spotify, and I love to say it this way, Pandora. You know? <laughs> so until next time, on behalf of Eddie and myself and points on the board, we bid you adieu. Happy New Year, everyone.